May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be always acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Please be seated. First words I have written here on my sermon says, it's midday and it's hot. Now I would say that living here in the San Joaquin Valley, we know what a hot day could be. Sometimes during the summer it can get pretty hot. But it also gets hot in Israel. And all the women had been to the well to draw water earlier in the day, all except one. And she came at noon, alone. She was tired. She was tired of knowing that when she walked into a room full of people laughing and chatting, it would suddenly become quiet as everyone looked her way and began to talk in whispers as she walked by, knowing exactly what they were talking about. Shikar was a small town, and in small towns, word travels fast, and the grapevine <coughs> had been full of juicy gossip about her on many occasions. After five marriages, it became more the rule than the exception. But the latest, she was living with a man that was not her husband. And she knew it was wrong, but she also knew that none of these people who loved to talk about her had ever cared to ask her why. Why? Why was she living this way? Was it because she was lonely or because she had no means to support herself? Was it because of the complications and scars of so many failed relationships, both emotional and physical, that she found the idea of marriage difficult? What would they have done if they had found themselves in this same situation? Shikar wasn't known for much besides being the home of Jacob's well, and it was a convenient stop for pilgrims traveling between Galilee and Jerusalem. And John tells us this woman goes to the well at high noon, alone. And this is unusual because most of the time the women would meet at the well together to chit-chat and have social time and to share news. It was the nerve center of the communication and the women would go in the cooler morning and evening hours to avoid the heat of the day. It didn't take long for this lone woman to realize that the blazing heat from the sun at its highest point was far more bearable than the blazing stares and the knowing looks and the sh shaming silence from the other women. And as a result, she resigned herself to a routine which kept her from seeing anyone else. But this day was different. She found she was not alone. There was a weary and dusty man sitting next to the well. And she was not used to anyone talking to her, so she went about her business of drawing water from the well when the man spoke to her. Give me a drink. And startled, she turned and asked, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus did not, the Jews did not associate with, with Samaritans. And this woman was a Samaritan, a member of a despised mixed race. 
Jews went to great lengths to avoid the Samaritans. When they were traveling, a pious Jew would rather add a day's journey to his trip by walking on the borders of Samaria rather than defile themselves by walking through the midst of such unclean people. No respectable Jewish man would, would talk to such a person as this woman. But Jesus did. And he answered her question with these words. If you knew that the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The gift of God is the well from which Jesus draws and gives living water. And in saying that he would bring, wa bring living water that could quench a person's thirst for God, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And only the Messiah could give this gift that satisfies the soul's desire. Water is common Old Testament metaphor for the satisfaction of spiritual needs. You can find it several places in the Old Testament. You can find it in Psalm 23, when it reads that he leads me beside still waters. Or Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then in Isaiah it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And there's also an Old Testament story where Moses brought large quantities of running water, living water, from a rock by striking the rock with his staff in obedience to God's command. And in that wilderness setting, that water was God's provision for his people so that they could drink and live instead of perishing in the desert. In other words, that living water was God's provision for the people's salvation. Give me a drink. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank of it himself, as did his children and his livestock? And Jesus is greater than Jacob. And Jesus makes this woman an offer to something greater, something of eternal importance. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give, give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus was not asking about mere water or the well. He was talking about something much more. He was offering the woman the living water of God's grace. And she was being given the fullness of Christ's entire purpose and mission in this world. She did not understand immediately what Jesus was talking about, because this was life-changing. Jesus allowed her time to process what he was saying and put the pieces together for herself. And when we share the gospel with others, it may not have immediate results, but we need to give them time to think about what we are saying. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
It was an exhilarating moment for her. But in the next moment, her past, once again, intruded on, on any hope that she might have for the future. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Ouch. This man with so much to offer of her was asking her to do something that she was incapable of doing. God often asks, asks people to do that which they cannot. Jesus tells a lawyer who asks how to inherit eternal life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. And then again, Jesus says to the rich man who feels he has done so well being holy on his own, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And the man became very sad because he couldn't do it. And so the call is the same for the woman. Go call your husband. The point would be the same for her as for the rich man. What is impossible with men is possible with God. And all she says is, I have no husband. And Jesus had gone to that place that she wished to keep hidden. And she knew that the, knew that the line, I have no husband, didn't tell the whole story. Now Jesus tells her that, that he knows it too. You were right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, and what you have said is true. In one quick stroke, Jesus had exposed her sin. The question that we can't avoid as we see Jesus address this woman's deepest sin and shame and failings what would Jesus say to you if you were the one standing at the well? I sometimes wonder why this woman didn't just run away. And she has the perfect out. She could simply say she needed to go get her husband and not return. And Jesus' disciples would come back and they would all move on. And no one would ever know what had happened. But she didn't go. She stayed. In fact, she confesses her sin. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And with this statement, we see that this sinful Samaritan woman, even in her ignorance about Jesus, knows something very important, that he is full of mercy, that he is full of grace. And she knows that from the second he saw her, he knew all about her sinful past and her shameful present, but he did not walk. But she did not. He did not walk away. Just the opposite. He talked to her. He asked her for a drink. He offered her living water. And as she confessed who she is, a sinner, one who has not lived up to God's commands, Jesus explains to her who he is. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will teach us all things. 
And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the mission of Christ. He didn't come to run away from sinners. He didn't come to join in the shunning and the scoffing and whispering. He didn't come to do that much which already had been done. He came to do that which no one else can do or, in, or is willing to do. He came to save the world. He came to save sinners. He came to be with those who have no business hoping to be a part of God's kingdom and offer them the living water of eternal life. He came to this woman in the hour of her greatest need, and he comes to us in ours. And we can read in the fifth chapter of Romans where it says, For while we are still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And these are powerful words that God wants us to hear. And this is what he tells us from the cross and from the tomb, that he isn't running away from us, that he isn't shunning us, that he didn't come to break us, just the opposite. He came to be broken, to be shunned, to be killed in order to give us life. And in our darkest moments, when we are afraid to open our mouth to confess the death and sin of our soul, when we have con convinced ourselves to abandon hope, remember this woman at the well. Remember who you are talking to. Remember that God knows, shows his love for us in this, that while we are, are still sinners, Christ died for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.